God is present among us today. Let's open in prayer. Remind us, O oh Lord, this morning that we are not involved in a merely human affair today. And that every time your word is opened, it is an occasion for you to act among us and open our hearts to your action now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first sermons I ever gave here, I can't remember exactly which one, at least after we started assembling together last year, I believe that's when it was, after COVID had shut us down and we came back together, I made some comment, uh, I don't know right now exactly the context, but I made some con comment about con still considering myself uh, a young man, like one of the youth in a way, and uh, where's Silas? I don't see him out there. Oh, okay, well, Silas isn't in here right now, but Silas, Daniel later told me that Silas leaned over to him and said, skeptically, huh, with those sideburns? <laughs> That's not the only comment I've heard since moving here about my sideburns. I wonder, what's the deal? Guys, these, these are objectively attractive <laughs> in any age group. So... Here, here's the thing I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about, about getting old today. There's a lot of, uh, uh, lot of uh, uh, stereotypes about getting old, a lot of uh, jokes about getting old. And really, the truth is, in our society, what's happening, and really this is, this is a recent thing historically. There's a whole history to it that we won't get into right now. But, but our society has come to glorify youth. And really to be obsessed with, with youthfulness. And so we have songs by uh, people like Adele. When we were young. Have you heard that song? Adele's like 28 when she's writing it or something. It always bugs me. <laughs> what are you talking about when we were young? Uh, and uh, scripturally speaking, this kind of obsession with, with youth is not good. The scriptures point us to the foolishness of youth, to learning from the wisdom of those who are older. And so part of me, now that I'm in my 40s, early 40s, I, I'm learning some things more and more, I guess, as I, I get older. And I'd like to, to uh, reword those songs a little bit so people would understand. And maybe we'd sing, When We Were Dumb. <laughs> yeah. May you stay forever dumb. <laughs> Because youth, it's great in some ways, thank God for youth, and we're, we're happy for it. But the truth is, we're dumber when we're young. At least. Now, it doesn't mean you just naturally, sometimes people act like this. Well, if you just get old, all of a sudden everything you say is true. No, that, that's not right. You can get old with the devil. <laughs> but if you get old with Christ, if you get old walking with God, you're going to learn a lot. And you're going to have some insights that other people don't have. And, and scriptures point us to learning from those who are old and who have learned the way of the Lord, and uh, that's called wisdom. And we can gain it while we're young, but one of the ways we gain it is by, by being respectful and listening to those uh, who are older. So I want to talk to you today about getting old. If, if we're not careful, this obsession with youthfulness in our society will make us think that old people are pointless. And I want to tell you that there's a great benefit to being older, there's a great purpose to being older, and we need old people in the church today. 
<laughs> Man, I, I am preaching to the choir literally today. <laughs> Oh, man, this is, everybody's going to love this sermon. <laughs> so I want to start by rewinding and going back to talk about Jacob. Because sometimes when people come to, uh, I think frequently when we come to the, uh, the, the Genesis story, we get to Joseph and we sort of forget about Jacob. But the truth is the story isn't over until you follow Jacob into his old age. And, and that's uh, some of those beautiful stuff to me in the book of Genesis. So we're going to rewind and uh, talk about Jacob. Brother Terry gave us a, a, a great sermon a few weeks ago about Jacob. Actually, he gave us two sermons. One of them was great. Uh, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, but uh, he gave us uh, some good, good stuff on Jacob. I just want to remind you of a few things about Jacob. You remember Jacob uh, when he was born uh, because he was grasping the heel. They gave him a name after that. His name was Deceiver. That's a nice name. Hi, I'm Deceiver. How are you? <laughs> You'd think that might uh, be a giveaway. You know, I always think about this. We watched uh, the Transformers cartoon with our girls, and I always think about the Decepticons. Right? Doesn't that give it away? If you're the Decepticons, if somebody's confused, you need know, to change your name. <laughs> his name was Deceiver, and uh, two events, especially early on, in his life set the course for him being a little bit of a shady character. Now, the first one, he doesn't necessarily deceive Esau, but he, he takes his birthright uh, by uh, Esau's hungry, and Esau is uh, Esau's dumb enough to trade, but uh, uh, it's not actually a great act of integrity on Jacob's part that when Esau's hungry, he trades him his, his uh, bowl of soup for uh, his birthright. And then later on, he totally uh, acts as a deceiver when he steals his blessing, uh, making his father believe that he's Esau and, and uh, receiving that blessing. He is a deceiver, and he's living selfishly, seeking his own ways. But as we saw, God still comes to Jacob, and he still wants to use Jacob, and he still wants to advance his covenant through Jacob. He appears to him, he calls him, he tells him, I'm going to bless you. And over time, Jacob learns to walk with God. But just because God called him didn't mean his life got easy. In fact, in some ways, it got really hard. And over time, he lost his beloved wife, Rachel, and he lost his son, Joseph, his beloved son of Rachel, Joseph. And he learned, I guess, over the years to live with that. At first, he said, I'm just going to go to my grave mourning. But over time, he learned that life will go on, and he carried that pain deep in his heart for many years. And this is where we pick up the story. Last week, we, we uh, came to this place with, Je with Joseph. Of course, we advanced ahead to see the rest of the story with Joseph, but this is the place where Joseph's brothers go back to Jacob after they've seen jo Joseph, after he's revealed his identity to them. Here we are in Genesis 45. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb. For he did not believe them. This is what we call mind blown. It was incredibly good news. Joseph is alive would have been almost too good to be true. Joseph 
is ruler over Egypt. <laughs> That's what that is. Have you ever received news that's so good it's confusing? In reality, that's what the gospel is. And it's why some of us, our hearts become numb to it. Because we can't really believe it's that good. You mean in all of our sinfulness, Christ has died for us? And that not only that, he wants to pour out the blessings of his grace on us through all eternity? But you see, that kind of news is the news we get used to in the Bible. God brings good news to people. Here, here Joseph can't, I mean, Jacob can't believe the news until he sees the limos pulling up in his front yard. The, the, the wagons, all the wagons and the wealth that, jo- that Joseph has sent from Egypt. And then he says, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, I want to tell you, I want to give you four lessons that we learn from this story as we conclude the book of Genesis, as we conclude Jacob's story today. Four lessons we learn about growing older. And it may seem that it applies especially to old people, but actually it applies to all of us because guess what? We're all growing older. So this is a, this is a sermon for everybody. Four lessons that we learn growing older from Jacob. First, growing older involves us in learning to listen. And by that I mean learning to listen to God. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. Then God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. You see, Jacob was afraid apparently that he might be invalidating the promise if he left the land that God had said he was going to give him. He didn't want to invalidate the promise, but God comes to him and confirms to him, no, I'm the one who's calling you. Go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is not the first time that Jacob has heard from God. In fact, if you read the story, you'll see there are several, several occasions when God comes to Jacob in dreams, in an angelic form, He speaks to Jacob, and Jacob's not the only one he speaks to. See, we're summing up the book of Genesis here. This is our last sermon in this series. And what you'll find in the book of Genesis is that God wants to communicate with people. Do you know that? Whether it's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, walking with Enoch, speaking to Abraham, speaking to Isaac, speaking to Jacob, giving dreams to Joseph, God is reaching out and communicating with people. And I want to say to you that God is a God who speaks, and he wants people to hear him. I'm not saying there's one exact form in which this comes. It comes in various ways, but our God is a communicating God. He is articulate in his universe. That's why he is a revealer. He loves to reveal himself. Imagine a different God who did not reveal himself. We would be groping in the dark. But God from the start has said, I want to reveal myself to people. He does this in various ways. He does it through nature, first of all. He speaks all around us. Read Psalm 19. One of my girls, we were driving recently and, and looking, we were going to school one morning and looking at the beautiful sky. And one of them just said, it's like God is, is talking. And I said, yes, that's Psalm 19. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day reveals knowledge and night after night pours forth speech. God is speaking in our universe. Don't close your ears to it. But he doesn't just speak in our universe. Sometimes God speaks to people audibly. And I hope you won't be weirded out by that. I'm not a person who gets the voices, okay? But I know people who do. And uh, God doesn't speak to everybody the same way. Usually this is a rarer thing when people hear audible voices, but I'm almost, I would almost guarantee right now that there are some of you in here like, oh man, I have heard that. <laughs> and I'm glad he said it. Um, I say it to you just so you'll be open. And I won't take the time to tell you stories or give you examples. More characteristically, more commonly, God speaks to us by guiding our hearts with, with a characteristic thought or feeling that we learn to recognize. That's God moving us and directing us. We are led by the Spirit of God. And we learn how to hear this better over time. Some people are uncomfortable with that because it's subjective. Well, guess what? Relationships are subjected. <laughs> subjective. <laughs> Virtually every great saint in history has testified to this kind of hearing from God. And the Bible is filled with it. And it's not just given to us that so we'll say, well, that was neat. God used to do stuff like that. No, God leads people. He speaks to people. He guides them in various ways. And then finally, God speaks to us through his word. But you see, I say all this before going to the Word because I came from a tradition. It's like the only thing we had from God is that God mailed us a letter. And some of you probably came from the same, same area uh, where uh, from a great distance, God inspired this book and sent it to us, and now we get to read it. And I want to tell you that that's just the wrong view of the Bible. And if you have a view of God that is silent in the universe around you, you're probably going to struggle to hear him in the word. Because it's not just that we read the Bible and say, oh, God spoke something a long time ago. It's that God speaks as we read the word. And many of you know what I'm talking about right now. You know that you've been reading the Bible and suddenly it's been addressing you. And you've gone from reading and studying and taking it apart to saying, wow, my life needs to change. Wow, that was just what I needed to hear today. Suddenly the Bible has your name on it. That's what we're talking about. God speaking to us through his word. But that kind of recognition to be able to see that, we understand that God's already speaking all around us, within us. He's guiding us. He's communicating with us. And so our task as Christians who are really passionate about following God, about living out the gospel, our task is to cultivate receptivity in ourselves. And I realize I'm saying things that uh, uh, would need, right, we need whole sermons to talk about this. Let me just say right now, we cultivate receptivity, first of all, by being obedient. If God speaks to us and we aren't obedient, then we can't expect him to continue speaking. We cultivate receptivity by being obedient, by being in prayer, and by making space. That means getting alone with just you and God sometimes. That's a starting point for cultivating receptivity to being led by God, to being led by the Spirit. Okay, now that, that's, a, that's what we learn from the first thing we see here in this story with Jacob that he had learned throughout his life 
to listen to God and to be obedient to God. That's what we learn getting older in Christ, is to listen to God. Okay, let's go to the next slide here. Uh, Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I bet he did. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. It's like this is enough for my life right here. I didn't think this would ever happen, and yet here it is. I can die now. And then we get, I'm going to skip chapter 47 just for time, most of chapter 47, but Jacob, uh, Joseph takes his family to Egypt, and he introduces them to Pharaoh. <laughs> it's a, you just go read it. It's, it's amazing. Jacob stands before Pharaoh, and then Jacob blesses Pharaoh, this old, old man standing before the king of Egypt, going from the fields out there. All he had was a promise from God, wandering the fields. And now he's taken in before Pharaoh himself and blessing Pharaoh. Then we get to the end of chapter 47. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. He thought he was going to die, but he lived 17 more years with his son Joseph. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, remember that's Jacob's other name, Israel, he called his son's son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Make him take an oath. Deal tr kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. We're going to say more about that in just a minute. Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself up on the head of his bed. And the way we get further understanding of this is in Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. That's also in this context in Genesis. And he bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. I love that. One of the main things we're learning as we're growing older is we're learning to worship. And I love this picture of this old man. And there's not much more he can do anymore. <laughs> but he can still worship. And he leans over. The, the, there's a translation issue, a manuscript issue. Some, the, the text we read in Genesis says the, the bed. The text that the Hebrews writer is working with is, is his staff. But you, either way, he's leaned over on something, leaned on his staff, and he's worshiping <laughs> He, he shows faith in the promise. That's what he does, first of all, by getting Jake, Joseph to swear to him he's going to take him out of the land to the promised land. He shows faith in God's promises, and as he demonstrates that faith, he leans over and he worships. We've already seen in chapter 46 that he stopped to offer sacrifices when he was on his way to Beersheba. Jacob, as an old man, had learned what it means to worship God. This was not the shallow, superficial worship of a young man who was seeking to find his way in life, seeking to put in his time, whatever it was. This was the seasoned worship of an old man who had learned to live with God through tragedy and triumph, through good times and bad times. And now, as he's ready to die, he wants to worship. Worship is a beautiful thing, and there are many reasons for it. We do it because it's commanded. We do it because God's worthy. We do it because it's good for us. But there's nothing more beautiful and the best version of worship is when we do it because we've learned who God is through a lifetime with him. 
and we delight in his presence. We know he's good, and we want to bow down and worship him. And this Jacob put his whole old body into when he's thinking about the promises of God being fulfilled even after he dies. Are you learning to worship today? Are you learning how worthy God is? I think of Charles Wesley. You know, Charles Wesley was brilliant. He wrote, I think, over 10,000 songs, maybe more. I can't remember. It's 10,000 hymns, beautiful, powerful words he wrote. Here's the words of his last one. He's 81 years old and on his deathbed. Listen to this. It's called Aged and Helpless. In age and feebleness extreme, who shall a helpless worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch one smile from thee and drop into eternity. That's Charles Wesley's last hymn. That's the way I want to come to my deathbed. Or to put it in the words, the simpler words of a more popular modern Christian song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful. Y'all know that song? All my life you've been so, so good. Every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. That's the way to get old right there. When you get old living with God, you come to the end in worship. Third point here. As we get older, we learn how to bear witness. We learn to bear witness to God. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So we're going back a little bit here. Well, we're going forward in the text, but uh, uh, it's not all like linear chronologically necessarily. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So first of all, he ties things to the past. He ties things to what he knows about God from what God has done for him in the past. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. He starts by remembering the promise of God before his son Joseph. We're skipping down in the chapter. And I'm having to skip over some things here. Go back and read it. It's about Joseph wanting his sons to be blessed. And Jacob does something kind of weird there. I think it's significant. If you know the overall story, we can only talk about so many things here. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, the kids that he had given to bless, and he bowed himself. Here's Joseph now bowing himself with his face to the earth in worship. And Jacob blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on. 
the God who has been my shepherd my whole life. You have to think that uh, when Jacob makes a statement like this, he's looking back on his life. The selfishness that had destroyed relationships around him as he sought to procure the blessing for himself. Before he encountered the one who was the source of all blessing. Before God showed up to him in a dream and said, I'm going to bless you. The deceit and the cheating that went on in his life. And then the wrestling with God, the speaking with God that happened. And the, the blessings that were just poured out upon him despite himself, apart from his own seeking to procure them. He looks back on all this and he says, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Can anybody bear witness to that? Can you say, looking back on your life, that God has been your shepherd all your life long? See, with age, we come to see more clearly what's happened. We're not as zoomed in on the tiny little moment. We're able to see more of a composite picture. And we look back with clarity on our lives then. And we're able to start telling people around us, oh, that was God. And one of the points of getting old is we can speak to people and say, and there was God, and there was God, and there was God. And those of us who are younger need old people who can do that for us. who can say, I've lived life that you're trying to live right now, and I've seen God show up in it. And then you can too. I've seen God be my shepherd my whole life long. Who can say to us, like Jacob says to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. And will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Jacob knew from experience about God. I love to talk to people who know from experience the truth. My grandmother was a very, very godly woman, raised in a very dry context, spiritually speaking. She always represented something else. And I thought she was kind of just sweet and silly. <laughs> I, I thought the, the preachers with the arguments were the ones to really look up to. And uh, years later, I came to realize that God had planted her in my life to give me a vision of something different and to show me there's a different way to be. And uh, you could not, even though uh, we lived in a context that really minimized the work of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't knock the Holy Spirit out of my grandmother. It didn't matter what arguments you brought. <laughs> she had a knowledge. She had a knowledge of the Spirit who moved with her in her life. And I'm so thankful for her witness. And one time I, I told her, one time this sort of young preacher came through our area and he was preaching about the five love languages. His name was Terry Bays. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after I, I heard about those five love languages, I remember telling my grandmother, uh, and I wasn't thinking it was a super spiritual thing or anything. I just said, you know and we had some time alone, I said, I think you love in more ways than anybody I know. Now I realize that doesn't just happen by accident. That happens because of the practice of a woman who was on her knees every night by her bed, 
even as she was losing her mind uh, to dementia. And she once told my brother Brad, and he wrote this down. I'm glad he did, just to remember it. And she told him, as you get older, the Lord will reveal himself to you along the way. I'm going to say that to you again. As you get older, the Lord will reveal himself to you along the way. And I want to say to you that in my life so far, that's true. And I'm looking forward to finding out more as I get older. See, that comes from a place of knowledge from a woman who had walked closely with the Lord for many years. And he won't do it if you're closed down to it. And if you don't seek it and you don't want it. But if you want it, the Lord will reveal himself to you along the way. See, that's the kind of thing we need old people in Christ to tell us. We need old people who can look back at their lives and say, I see God in my life. Avery and I have been, uh, actually, I, I read the Chronicles of Narnia to my girls. We've been listening this time because uh, Steve gave Avery a birthday present last year. So we've been listening to the horse and his boy. And there's this, this moment where Aslan, if you know anything about Aslan, uh, you know what he represents. And Aslan comes to Shasta, who has been on an adventure. He's been in danger. His life uh, has, has seemingly been threatened Multiple times he's been chased by lions, and he keeps showing up and, and getting information to people who need it just on time. Things like that are happening. And finally, he's just thinking after being chased by lions multiple times, he says something like, I, I must be the most unfortunate kid on earth. And the lion shows up and is speaking to him, and here's what he says. Aslan is the lion. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus, that's the girl he traveled with. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. So this is a beautiful expression of God's providence that C.S. Lewis captures for us here. That the lion has been there all along in ways we didn't see. Even when we thought we were scared and afraid, we thought he was trying to hurt us. The lion has been there helping. And what we do as we get older is we come to see that was God. God was there. These little moments where we thought we were on our own. These little moments where we thought, wow, I almost got run over by a car right then. I almost got in a bad wreck. How did that not happen? We look back through our lives and we see all kinds of places where God was there. And we understand what it means to trust in great providence. And we were able then, in light of our experience, to turn to those around us and say, God will be with you. Because he has been with us. Final point here. Growing old is a matter of learning to hope. Growing old with God is learning to hope. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. 
Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the, with the field from Ephraim the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. I'm acting like I know how to pronounce all these. <laughs> Why is he so concerned about where he's going to be buried? This is the second time we've seen this now. Because this is about God's promises, remember? God promised them a land. And even though now they're surrounded by riches in Egypt, and they can, they're a very powerful family in Egypt, now he says, don't leave me here. God promised something else. Look, and here, here's Joseph at the end of his life now. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you. See that? God will visit you. And bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Don't let me become embalmed in Egypt and let them visit my grave as a hero here in Egypt. Take my bones with you. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's last words are not bitter expressions of his grudges. They're not vague reminiscences. His last words are words of hope. Words of faith in the promises of God. This is what we do as we get older. We learn to hope. Here's Joseph and Jacob, and they don't even have the resurrection of Jesus to look to. They don't even have the words that we know so well, that, that Christ has destroyed death. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. They don't have any of that, but they did know that they had heard from God. And so they say the promises are going to be true. and We're not going to see them, but you take us with you. Take our bodies with you. And put us in that land because God will keep his promises. I want to say to you, those of you who are truly getting old here, you have a future. It's not nearly over for you yet, in this life or the next. How, how much greater responsibility is on us to live out the promises of God when we can look to our Lord Jesus who has been raised from the dead and said, I came to take you with me. We look to the New Testament that says he has destroyed death. Because we can't, look, look we, we try to avoid death in Western American society. We're embarrassed about it. We think we can cover it over with science and technology and medicine. You can't. Death is coming. The question is is there something or someone who has spoken to death? Has spoken over death and said, it will not have the last word. And the answer in Christ is, yes, there is. And so as we get older, we don't start thinking, oh, man, I'm about to run into that wall. Now, either way, it's coming. You know, there's something there. But it's, it's, the question is, are we going to see through that and beyond it? 
Or are we thinking, man, it's almost over. Uh, back, I think it was when I was running track that they used to say to me, run through the finish line. That's what they'd tell us. All right? We need old people to run through the finish line. Not to start letting up, not to start uh, giving up towards the end, but to press down on the gas and to go forward full speed. Because your work in Christ is not in vain. And life is eternal. And it begins in this life. The eternal kind of life that God has, that he gives to us as a gift, begins now. And we keep on living it right through death. That's the hope that we have as Christians. And so when we, when we come to get older, we start looking beyond. And that hope infuses us with more zeal to be the servant of Christ to his people and to the lost world than we've had when we were younger. And as we learn to listen, and we learn to worship, and we learn to bear witness, we also are learning to hope for the future. You have a great hope. And it's not because you're young and have your whole life before you. Listen, no matter how old you are, you have your whole life before you. In 500 years from now, you're going to be serving the Lord Jesus. So serving faithfully now. God will visit you is the promise there. And I want to tie this in as we close. It's been a wonderful journey through Genesis. I've hated we've had to move over so many chapters so quickly. But uh, what we've seen through Genesis is that God is the one who made, his, made this world, made the human beings, called his people, and said, I want to be with you. And even when they've been in bad situations, the promise has been, I'm coming. Hang in there, I'm coming. God will visit you. Well, guess what? We get to Christmas. And the ultimate fulfillment of that promise has now arrived. God has visited and redeemed his people in Jesus Christ. And the light of the world has shown this is the visit we need. It is the, the answer, the emphatic word that God is with us and that he always will be with us. And the same God who is with us in life will be with us in death. This God has visited and redeemed his people. And I want to leave you with the words of John Wesley now. I quoted his brother Charles earlier. If I'm not mistaken, these were the final words of John Wesley as he lay on his deathbed. He said this to the people around him. Best of all, God is with us. I want you to know that that's the story of Genesis. That's the story of Christmas. And that's the true story of the whole world. Praise team, would y'all come on up? Best of all, God is with us. He's with us in life. And he's with us in death. And you can know that. And you can join with Wesley in living your life with zeal and passion for the kingdom of God. And you can die with the smile on your face knowing that it's the best thing of all to have God with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who opens our minds and our hearts to your presence with us in life and with us in death. Thank you for this journey through Genesis we've been on that has shown your love for us and your love for your people. 
May we live out of it now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.